0: What's up, traders? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in to the Futures Radio Show podcast. Great show for you guys today. If you're a fan of charts and technicals like I am, you're going to love hearing from my guest today, Patrick Serezna. Patrick is the founder and chief strategist at Big Picture Trading. He's also the co-host of two of my favorite podcasts, The Market Huddle and Macro Voices. I'm a huge fan of Patrick's work. I love how he explains how he uses charts, to trade macro themes. And in today's podcast, we talked about the recent dip in Ethereum and Bitcoin. We talked about crude oil, the dollar, gold, NASDAQ, Russell, and more. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group. And in July, micro WTI futures are coming to CME Group. They will be one-tenth the size of the benchmark WTI futures and will provide traders with a new tool to fine-tune their exposure to crude oil markets and enhance their trading strategies in an efficient, more precise way. To learn more, go to com. Futures Radio Show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, TradeStation, and FTSE Russell. The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks, be sure to check out the E-Mini Russell 2000 futures symbol, R-T-Y, and Micro E-Mini Russell 2000 futures symbol, M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. Patrick Ceresna in the house, man. How are you? Excited to have
1: you here today. Great. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I've been listening to you for years. Uh every weekend I listen to the Macro Voices podcast. By far my favorite macro podcast out there, I think, you know, Eric has been on the show a bunch of times before. Huge fan of what you guys are doing. Learned a ton from listening to your podcast over the years. So, um it's just great to have you here today. Thanks, Anthony. And, and one of the things that I really love about your podcast is you know what macro voices i know you have the huddle as well which i you know i love kev he's been on the show before you guys do an excellent job and i i love how at the end of every show with the macro voices you guys go over the charts and you guys talk about how to take what you learned from that macro guest and put it into trading i mean that's what this is all about right and today I really wanted to focus on what macro themes that you're looking at. And then everybody, if you're listening to this on audio only, Patrick is going to send us some screenshots of all the charts we're going to talk about. So if you want to go on anthonycredelli.com where the post is and you could download it and follow along, or you could tune into YouTube. Remember, we're on video now uh, starting in January and we're going to be doing a lot of screen sharing. But uh, before we get into that and we get into the charts, what right now are you really focused on? Like what? macro theme do you see, or that all of the guests that you've listened to uh, and spoken with, that, that you see is really happening right now to where when you're looking at the charts saying, all these guests, everything I've learned, this is, this is happening and this is how I'm trading it.
1: Well, I think that the, the biggest uh, point of confusion is the fact that we had this huge macro shock uh, caused by COVID it has thrown all of the macro numbers completely out of whack. Uh, you basically have the rate of change higher and lower of any um, macroeconomic fundamental data whipping back and forth. Unemployment rates, inflation rates, everything deflationary impulses, and so it, you can't use normal rules that were working in the past to try to interpret the most recent data because it's just uh, it's just so much whipsaw in it. And so uh, one intuitively has to go and observe how the market is reacting to the data to kind of get a pulse as to what has already been baked into the cake, what has already been accounted for. Because uh, like, for instance, we had one of the hottest inflation prints in, in a decade come out uh, just a couple of weeks ago and uh, bond yields did not go higher. Or make a higher high well what what does that tell me like why wouldn 't it if 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 this inflation number was such a big surprise, we should have seen the ten year treasury yield you know uh, punching toward two percent and and uh, the whole market starting to price in a new regime. And the ten-year yield didn't even move, uh, and well, it, it gave it back uh, almost all the gains it made on that one day. And so these are the types of things that I'm looking at. It's like, what has the market already baked into the cake? What has already been priced in, and where is the next asymmetric trade? Because uh, so many things have become consensus. Uh, you know, Eric talks about it, the inflationistas, all these people that have turned from deflationists to inflationists. And yes, that's the reality on the short. Term There's this transitory inflation that's coming through higher commodity prices and all the pent up uh, demand that has been uh, that has been uh, kept from everyone being locked down to suddenly it being all spent. And so there's this impulse that's coming in. But is it sustainable? Is it transitory or is it a secular inflation that we are seeing? And these are such interesting questions to ask. And I, I look to the charts to kind of get a pulse as to uh, what is the market really telling us? We know what uh, everyone's opinion is. Everyone has an opinion. Yes. Everyone's willing to give us what they think. Uh, but you would think that the markets would be behaving in certain ways if it was being an immediate uh, risk on the short term. And that, that's a lot of the stuff I want to talk about, like what's happening with the dollar, what's happening with interest rates, what's happening in commodity prices, uh, how are the markets in terms of equities reacting to it? There's so many really interesting things that we're going to touch on here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when I think back to a lot of the shows, I listen to you guys, like I said, every week. And it's really been the topic of conversation is, Trying to find somebody who's in the deflation camp, and because pretty much everybody's hopped on and said that they believe that inflation is here and it's going to be running really hot when when you sit back and listen to all these different people. Where do you think we actually are with all that? Because actually, the deflation argument, I have to say, there was a couple of them really got me thinking. And I'm like, man, am I, you know, and, you know, and when you listen to all these really smart people, far smarter than me, I can tell you that right now, I have been trying to figure out how this all kind of ends up. And I'm just curious from you who's listening to them, yeah. uh, where do you sit with that?
1: Well, uh, you, you're about to get a good dose of deflation uh, in this week's sh- episode where David Rosenberg joins us and uh, he's, uh, he is very firmly in the camp that this is just transitory inflation. Uh, like inflation is here. There's, he's not denying these numbers are, are here. Uh, but that all of the reasons that these inflation numbers are coming in hot are not sustainable over the long term. And that therefore, as soon as we see that all of this has been kind of priced in, you know, higher, um, you know, airline price tickets and all these different other factors that are coming on the short term, they're, they're not sustainable. And therefore, inflation will back off. And this is a, uh, one of the biggest things to like is in order to have secular inflation, which is a sustained continuous increase in prices over a long period of time, there has to be a, a macro fundamental backdrop for that. And um, and so the question really is, is that secular inflation risk really a reality? Because there's no denying inflation is cu- here right now. Yes. Uh, it, but the puzzle piece is it transitory or is it secular? And, um, and I personally uh, like to because I'm a trader. And so I don't like to marry myself to one view. Uh, rather, I look for evidence in the markets as to that the market is siding with this side or that side a little bit more. I, um, I'm not convinced it's secular. I, I think that uh, there is a very legitimate chance that uh, that uh, a lot of this reflation trade that has been working, while it will probably sustain with us for many more months, and this is we're not imminently like today or tomorrow or next week going to see uh, a major shift in trend. Uh, I'm not fully convinced uh, that we're uh, that that this is just one straight line uh, where things are going to run away and interest rates are going to keep running super hot. Uh, I uh, I'm more in the camp where uh, where I think that this is a very mature move already in terms of the reflation trade. And uh, there's plenty of room for this to me- mean revert. A perfect example is the headline today from China. Basically, uh, they're talking about they're, they're not happy with the fact that infl- uh, commodity prices are this high. And almost all the commodities took it on the chin. Uh, the moment uh, that headline came in, but there's going to start to be resistance from the commodity side of, of progressing. I mean, there's always room for them to still go higher. I don't want to say that this is the top, right? Like it's not, yeah. but, uh, but uh, there's only so much more room for this trade and it's so consensus too, Anthony. Like uh, for instance, find me one person that's bearish on copper. Do you, I don't know you, one. Even, and you don't know one. I don't so, know one. So the question is, is, it's not that the bull case for copper isn't a good one, but the thing is, is how much of it has now been baked into the cake? If everyone is, is, um, is already in the copper trade and this is already the consensus, uh, where is the incremental new buyer that is going to take, uh, take uh, it to the next level and where it, uh, there's so much room? For mean reversion in this trade, where where it's everyone's gotten way ahead of themselves, and can be, and we're just going to have a shakeout at some point to get all the weak hands out of the market. I, there, so there's there's um, there's a lot of risks in chasing the things that have worked really well in the last six seven months.
0: That's the hardest part for me as a trader because when yeah. I see so many of these moves and I listen to all of these really super smart people talk about how inflation is not only just here, I think that's the obvious for everybody, the reflation is here, but then it's gonna continue to run hotter. And when you look at prices, I and mean, like we said, you and I are traders, it's like, how do I buy into that? I, I look at this and go, it becomes so difficult to manage risk. I mean, and I, I look at myself over the years in the stock market, NASDAQ trader, when this thing starts to run too much to the upside, which it does seems like almost all the time, but it just becomes so much harder to manage risk up here. I'm not a momentum trader uh, by nature. Yeah. I like mean reversion. And when I see markets that run like this, I tend to just say I can't even really get into that. I mean, there are some markets crypto, I've kind of you know, said, you know what, if you want to get in some of these, you might have to buy into momentum because it, it just runs so much further than mm-hmm. uh, what a commodity does. Maybe not this year. I think commodities have run crazy, but I think that's what holds me back from the true macro theme that's happening. So when I listen to this and I, and I listen to you, I'm with you on the trader side, but do you think it's you
1: and I as market people saying, hey, this is, it,
0: it, how much further
1: can it go? So, so uh, to me, and I, I, when I hear you talking that way, I, I, it resonates with me too, because uh, to me, I only care about getting into trades that are asymmetric, which is I need to be able to manage my risk effectively and I have to have the potential to make far greater returns on the upside than the yes. risk I undertake, right? This is just the very basic principle of successful trading. And, uh, and the thing is, is that once you're chasing something that it's hot, um, your asymmetry completely skews because now you have more and more downside risk. And there's only so much further incremental gain. And so your risk reward proposition and your payoff profile are completely worsening. And all you're counting on is momentum to carry you. And then you're just hoping that you're not the sucker holding the bag when the, <laughs> when the music stops, right? Like when the, like you get a chair, right. And, um, and uh, so you have, so the more you're a momentum chaser, the more you have to be on top of the market immediately. Like look, uh, look how fast the markets turned in the last 24 hours. Uh, if you weren't on the ball. Uh, and first out the door when, when the trend turned, you got caught. And this is, I think, a nature of how the markets have evolved. When people ask me, um, you know, what has changed with technology, with the internet, with Twitter, with all of the social media and everything like that. And that is the uh, immediate responsiveness of participants in the market. It seems like everything is 24 hours a day and almost immediately what used to take uh, two, three days of trend to, to turn um, market happens in 10 minutes and uh, it is just uh, uh, just these explosive volatile moves as every as the liquidity shifts immediately and creates and so you have to create an uh, a trading strategy or a methodology that allows you to be able to withstand that kind of volatility in the markets and be able to actually effectively manage your trade in markets that can sh- uh, shift on a dime that quickly
0: i mean bear markets are so much shorter now yes. than they've ever been. I mean, it, it's like they happen and they're over. And I, even I go back to COVID last year, I remember thinking that the S&P can continue to go lower. I mean, that break, I caught some of it. And then all of a sudden I got caught on the rally back up. I'm going, is this thing over already? It's like you're questioning it. Like These moves are unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at, I want to go back to even with gold, as I started to think, okay, look at gold, inflation, it's coming, buy gold. And, you know, I did well for a period of time, and I'm like, well, maybe I have to start buying into momentum a little bit. And then all of a sudden it comes off, boom, like that. And this is why – I mean we we always talk about this. You have to adapt. You have to adjust. As a As a trader for 20-plus years, a majority of that I made money – in um, really short term, but, you know, I liked a lot of mean reversion. I was able to to go with trend. I felt like I had time. I would say the last few years, I've had to really adjust. Like you even mentioned, yeah. you have to develop a strategy around how the markets changed. As a mean reversion trader, who you know made a Great living for a lot of years. The S and P and Nasdaq started becoming products I could barely trade anymore because they weren't pulling back enough for me to get in. I'm going every day. I'm buying new highs. This is crazy. Uh, and then when they finally get into a bear market, you're trying to sell them, and next thing you know, it's we're in a bull again. So I think this is where um, you know today I, I want to go to the charts with you, and I want to I want to look at how you are using technicals to help you navigate in these type of markets because. Uh, you know, you've got a ton of experience with it. You you understand the macro themes well. And I want to go over how you've ad- ad- adapted and adjusted, looking at the charts and saying, these are the themes, but this is how I have to create this strategy around that. So uh, what are you in the mood to talk about first? I mean, um
1: uh, let's go top down. Right. Like uh, let's uh, because in, in my macro universe, uh, I, everything always starts with currency analysis. Uh, to, to me, currency, commodity, interest rate, like we go down and then equity is the, the sort of the last thing that I tend to look at. So so just understanding uh, where we are in, in the bigger macro landscape is such an important thing. And currency's is a great place to start, I think.
0: Okay, cool. All right, traders. We're going to be back in 30 seconds with some charts with Patrick. Hang tight.
1: Replace your exchange with TradeStation Crypto. Dealing with multiple exchanges is complicated and it takes time, except with TradeStation Crypto, because we are not an exchange. We are a broker. You have access to multiple pools of liquidity, all in one platform, in one account, one way. Trade crypto your way. Plus, earn interest on your eligible cryptocurrencies. Get started in one click.
0: Trade the global markets with Trading Technologies. TT is the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. Learn more at tradingtechnologies.com. Welcome back, traders. We now have the charts up, so if you're listening to this on audio... Uh, make sure you either go to com, download the charts. That's uh, Patrick actually put together a PDF for everybody to go and to be able to follow along if you're listening on audio. And of course, you could check us out on YouTube. Patrick, you've got the dollar index up. Tell us what you're saying.
1: Well, the uh, one thing that uh, when we do top-down analysis, uh, one of the most important things is to understand the underlying US dollar trend, because the US dollar is the world reserve currency, the vast majority of, of commodities and trade are still done in US dollars. And it becomes one of the single biggest uh, and most important things to watch when looking f- uh, for the uh, reflation trade cycles of when we have the disinflationary and inflationary cycles. And so we have a, a scenario where uh, the dollar has been structurally weak for, for the better part of a year. Uh, and we have a scenario where that has been a tailwind for inflation. It has been a tailwind for commodities. It's been what's been driving it. But when you look at this trend, it looks like the dollars made a big move. And one of the things that I kind of reflect on is that when we go to a monthly chart and look at like in several decades of US dollar uh, price action, one can see the last five years has not actually had very much dollar movement at all. Uh, like we, we more yeah. or less have had extraordinary swings. And this is not about the US dollar losing its world reserve currency status. This is not about the, some doomsday thing that, that is coming. It's just the dollar and currencies tend to go through some quite some significant volatile uh trend moves and the last major commodity bull market and inflation impulse that we had arguably was during the period where the US dollar was in its downtrend from 2000 to 2008 uh, 2007 that was where we had one of the most extraordinary commodity bull runs and it was with a, a huge weak dollar uh, tailwind behind it the the whole time and I think one of the single biggest macro questions to solve is that uh, are we we imminently going to see a breakdown in this dollar out of this five-year uh, five trade range uh, and begin some new downtrend? I don't know whether I'm ready to stick. There's no shortage of guests that we have come on that, that are quite dollar bearish. Uh, and while I respect their arguments, I'm not ready to, uh, to be in that camp uh, full throttle. But it, it would be technically significant if we started to see the dollar index breaking below the 90 level with any real gusto. Uh, and it would really uh, give some real strong tailwind to a commodity bull market and, uh, and really feed a potential secular inflation cycle. And I think that uh, now, while I'm not sh- uh, sure I want to stick my neck out and say this is a certainty, but this is uh, a, such an important chart to watch, in my opinion, because uh, what the next move in the dollar will be is going to have such an important role uh, in determining um, uh, you know where, where we're going next.
0: I gotta say the Luke Roman episode this year about mm-hmm. the dollar and all of that was one of my favorite ones.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's... you
0: know that really opened my eyes a lot. I listened to that one a few times. I actually tweeted about that one, and so staying here with the dollar, it, let's just say it starts to break out. I mean, you look at it to the downside. What are you going to be looking for from here? I mean, you said top down. Talk to us about what's next that well, you be is... looking at.
1: Well, overall, the entire 2021 year has been just a, a two, three point trade range, more or less. Uh, you can contain the majority of almost all the dollar price action this year uh, into the 90 to 92 handle uh, zone. And, uh, and so it really, in my mind, the dollar has been noncommittal and it has been actually a non-factor since the start of the year. And, uh, and we're at a major support line like this is the lows of uh of the year and the lows of of several years at uh, at this stage down along this bottom end and um and it's very consensus to be bearish the dollar and the dollar's been very weak and the price action has been just outright awful like every rally failing very distributive in its nature uh it's been so easy to be long just about any uh currency cross against um against the dollar outside of the Japanese yen and uh and so what I kind of asked the question: We are out of consent, like it's out of consensus to be bullish the dollar, and it's at a major support line. Uh, watching here in the next month or two, whether the support holds and offers the dollar a reaction. Especially, what if we're in a risk-off cycle? What if uh, the equity market's rolling over? And the fact we've seen highs in uh, in all the uh, the big innovation things like uh, Arc and and Tesla and all these other stocks. What if we are in some sort of risk-off uh, cycle, let's not call it a bear market, let's not call it some devastating market crash, but a period where these stocks are going to, like we were talking, mean revert, just g- give back a, a good chunk of their earlier gains and base at lower levels. Um, during a risk-off cycle, typically the dollar has done well. And and we're seeing the dollar not react at all to this. And it'll, it'll be really interesting to see whether the U.S. dollar bounces off this level. I think this is one of the more interesting puzzle pieces to solve here. And more importantly, if it does break down, uh, then it really does support the idea that commodities um, uh, really can uh, still have another leg higher. Uh, yeah. it, and that's, uh, that's definitely where we're going to go with the, with the next few charts.
0: Yeah, I, I think... When I look at the dollar, the first thing that I'm thinking about is if it does start to break out here, that that does support that commodity commodities continue to p- push higher. And what that does to so many other markets as well. I, I mean, I think if this dollar starts to break out, it's going to be interesting to see, first, h- how fast of a breakout it is to the downside. If it does happen, yeah. what starts being really sensitive to that right away? Um, because th- don't you look at, because there's so many things that are going to be compared to the dollar yeah. that we look at all the time. I mean, the dollar is one of the first charts I look at every single day just to see yeah. where it is. Is the first place to look for the, the highest amount of sensitivity probably going to be commodities?
1: Is that Absolutely. where you would look, right? Absolutely. Because the other reactions are, are have a huge lag. Commodities are the most responsive to currency movement, and uh, the impact on interest rates, monetary policy, stock markets are all have a, some degree of a lag behind them, and, and you have plenty of time to kind of think through the process. But usually uh, a big dollar move uh, immediately starts reflecting in the, uh, the commodity markets right away, then that's where the, sensi- you're right, the sensitivity is the highest.
0: Yeah, because when I look at the dollar, I always say, look at, I mean, there's a lot of times I've, in the past I've looked at the dollar, and as a trader, I'm always I mean, you're always in that hurry, yeah. to like, what's that trade? And I found that, just like you said, uh, some of these moves, like if the dollar does break out or if it does rally from here, it depends on how sharp it is, what it'll start impacting you got to look at to where the sensitivity is first. But it does have a ripple effect across so many markets. What this dollar does from here uh, is obviously something to, to really keep an eye on. And we're at that point right now where it's going to start telling us soon, I would think.
1: It, this is such a, an important make it or break it moment, especially considering what happened in the other asset classes today. Like you, uh, and it's at a major support. Will the dollar bounce here? I'm dying to find out. Like, I mean, it's got a bit of a green reversal candle here, but I mean, that's nothing to write home about. I certainly wouldn't want to be uh, trying to like say that this is impressive, the reversal we have off the low, but it is bouncing. And it'll be interesting to see whether the support here, uh, at least, like even even if we do bounce, but if it fails to make any progress above the 91 level then it, then it's still going to demonstrate distributive and very weak price action i mean we would take it would take a decisive breakout above 91 and the euro breaking below 120 on the downside in order for uh, there to be any real technical damage that would start uh, in order to shift these trends. You know, right now we have to respect the fact that the dollar downtrend and Euro strength are so dominant it, and, and that's the prevailing trend that's in place. And uh, there's no other way to put it like that. You have to respect that as the unfolding reality right now. Would you say
0: that the dollar, I mean, this is the first chart, first chart we're going over today, is your first look right now for everything that you're thinking about for the macro themes?
1: It's interesting because um, it hasn't uh, – o- over a, th- a three to five-year period, uh, the dollar has been a very important tool for uh, for and the first thing I look at, but this year uh, over the last five months, it really has not been where the action has been. Uh, it has it hasn't been where the signal is coming from, and that, that's a. And I wonder, a lot of people are trying to ask whether that's just uh, the changing of the of the markets, and that the uh, that the role of the dollar as that kind of. Uh, risk off asset that gives so many clues is changing. It might be. But I also think that right now, um, uh, right now, there's so much confusion in the markets that there's so many assets that are moving with so, so much more volatility that I think generally everyone's lost a little bit of interest in these Forex markets. And this is not where, like, we're, we're seeing implied volatilities and even realized volatilities in currency uh, uh, at a cr- incredibly low levels uh, relative to their historical ranges. And, um, and it just, it's some, a place where not a lot of people are paying attention to, but I would not be, I think that that in itself is a trade, you know, being long currency volatility at this stage. Uh, I think that at some point, currencies are going to start really moving. Uh, and right now it's really cheap to put on long, uh, you know, long tail risk kind of trades on, on currency. But right now, anyway, we're at a major support. I mean, that's really the only thing I'd want to take away from the in the current chart to see whether we get a bounce here.
0: What do you want to look at next, Patrick?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the the one interesting thing is the commodity-based currencies like uh, the Canadian dollar have been incredibly strong. And most people actually look at it on the USDC. Let me just flip it. Uh, and uh, the, so the US dollar has been very weak against the CAD and um that's obviously because uh the canadian economy tends to get a lot of inflow when commodities are hot and it's a very strong commodity based uh economy and uh it will be really interesting like, this is now way overdone and um and one of the interesting things that i'm looking at is is that uh, is the canadian dollar already run uh, as far as it's going to go, like this 120, is it going to be a, a key support as uh, we see that potentially crude oil and other markets like this may not uh, uh, be able to break to higher highs, at least in this cycle? I mean, I, there's no denying that crude oil can be much higher later this year. We're just trying to determine like whether it's happening right now. But uh, will will the CAD to kind of jump to 124? So, something I'm watching. We should uh, also touch on this crypto, uh, Anthony. Like, uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, like look at this Bitcoin <laughs> chart like um one of the um one of the things I say look whether uh, people are a big fan of of bitcoin or they 're not uh, i don 't uh, think that uh, I can add any value by by putting too strong of opinion about the long-term viability of crypto. But uh, let's talk about a technical element of the price action of of, of Bitcoin specifically. And whenever something rises uh, with the kind of parabolic fashion that Bitcoin has been rising, in particular Ethereum or, or the, some of the other uh, markets, um, they require uh, perpetual momentum to keep making incrementally higher moves uh, because as the market gets bigger and bigger, you need more and more buyers to keep the momentum going. And one of the most dangerous things in any market is running out of momentum when you're at very highly elevated levels. And one of the things that we were talking about with members over the uh, last two months is that there's nothing wrong with Bitcoin being at 60,000, but the bulls better show up with another uh, bull impulse and get the, uh, the momentum going again to, to actually drive that move to 80,000 or higher on a move. And, uh, and the, the worst thing that could have happened to crypto is it just run out of momentum uh and uh and that's virtually what we saw i mean you, a lot of technicians will like to try to cookie cutter a head and shoulders pattern onto this chart or some uh, some other technical formation but reality is that uh they had a shot to rally it in may and no one showed up to the party and uh and it, at this stage, we've begun some sort of distribution cycle. Will it be a buy on dip? I know uh, I know. Kathy Wood was talking about and a few others were like that this is a great buying opportunity. Maybe it is, but uh, right now with this technical breakdown, uh, there's a distribution cycle underway. And sometimes these distribution cycles can last longer than people want, but it offers often a great buying opportunity. So it's uh, at this stage, uh, Will this be one of these like multi month corrections that that just leaves uh, bitcoin as um as a quiet asset just where basically the money flow is not going for a little while uh, until a strong base of hands uh you know finish accumulating it for another bull run We'll see uh right right now. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a seller on the idea that there's an a, immediate short-term upside other than, a, like you said, a, a mean reverting kind of snap. Maybe we'll see 45,000 on the snap. You know, there could be a, another 7,000 uh, points on the upside on, on Bitcoin just from a Fib retracement of some sort of reaction off of the lows. But uh, I, I don't think that Bitcoin is going to uh, back to its highs in the next month or two it would it's going to take a, a solid basing formation and a, a bigger turn in its trend to start a new uh, new bull impulse a
0: couple things first I totally agree with you on the momentum side of things you know when we look at crypto when it gets up to these prices like you said it, it's it feeds off of momentum I mean this yes. whole crypto trade has been psychologically for me trying to wrap my head around not only what crypto is, been spending years talking about it, and I'm still probably not super clear on <laughs> it, but I mean, yeah. I definitely uh, understand it a lot better now. But the trading side of it, it just feeds off of momentum. It's just what it does. But one thing I will say about what I see here on the chart today is capitulation. I mean, I'm not saying that yeah, short-term you know, capitulation. absolutely. Yeah. and when we absolutely. look at when you know when we look at all of these, we just talked about this earlier, these bear markets, how fast they, how fast they come and go. Uh, like we said, I don't think we know what's going to happen here in Bitcoin, but I look at this and I say to myself, when these moves happen as fast as they do, up or down, but especially yeah. down, and these are the opportunities I, for me, personally, would want to be a buyer in. I didn't buy any Bitcoin today. I really don't trade much Bitcoin. I trade more Ethereum and I trade yeah. a bunch of other altcoins. But when I look at this and then when I think about it, if this was the S&P or if this was something like that, and everybody, I'm not comparing Bitcoin to the S&P, but my point is if I saw action like that, I'd be like, I've got to buy it, especially for the people out there that want to own Bitcoin. These are the moves you want to get in because I was watching it this morning, Patrick, yeah. and I got to tell you, it was... I was looking at it going, how do I even step in here? I said, you know what? Step back because I, I was just watching it just drop a thousand at a crack. And I'm going, you have no, I have no edge here and I have no way of managing risk. But now that it's stabilized somewhat, you look back at it and say, capitulation. That's just what it comes to mind for me.
1: So, so uh, I'll agree. And so here's, here's the analog that I'll put out to you that I, the way I'm approaching it. Uh, so there is clearly some sort of a short term low. That's being established and a reactionary snapback rally is par for the course. Like you're getting, like I said, 45,000 by tomorrow, the day after is something that wouldn't shock me. Uh, I, but what is going to be in my mind, um, uh, the most important tell is going to be about how the bulls show up and where they take it. So I'll give you an example, let's draw on a sequence. So there's gonna be a snap. So let's say in a week we're back to 45,000 on the upside like I just drew on here with these ghost charts, right? Um, if the price action starts to uh, over the next month, just get heavy it could easily break for another uh, round. And, it, and this was just nothing but a retracement on the other side. The single most important thing that bulls can do at this moment is you wanna see sustained buying that is showing that they're they're building the price action higher and doing a lot of repair work and neutralizing the entire sell cycle, and so uh, so the snapback rally is to me is 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 uh, something that is very likely to happen. But then the way that we look at the pattern of a price action and accumulation that occurs in the weeks after the snapback is where I'm going to really have a much higher conviction as to what's next in store, and uh, I'm going to reserve my bias for then And I think at this moment, a short-term low is likely in. I think anyone who is buying this morning is going to be rewarded with some sort of a short-term gain uh, as it snaps higher. And then uh, and then we're really going to get a good uh, read on this over the next couple weeks as to where the next move is.
0: I agree with you completely. And everybody... I loved how he just kind of laid that out. I mean, because you always have to have a plan and what you look for, especially off of these capitulation moves, is exactly what you said. I mean, this goes back to even reminded, I said the S&P, when I went back and saw that low last year uh, when it happened in, um, you know, I think it was March, and I saw how it just started to build. I mean, I fought it for a little bit, but exactly like how you said, it, almost the way you drew it is somewhat similar to how the S&P looked. Um, yep. Off that low. And it's exactly. really, it was one of those things where you look at, this is where I think we were talking about this a little bit um, before we came to the charts is how we've had to really psychologically, I've had to change how I think about some things. On how I'm approaching my my trading business because these moves happen so much faster and uh, th- like like we said it was, it's momentum on the way up then it's a capitulation it's a bear market so fast it's over and that's just really in our I don't know how long you've been doing this I know you've been doing it in a mm-hmm. long time that's so different from what we did for a lot of years that made money <laughs> right I mean yeah. this is just you wake up you see this sometimes and you're going wow i mean and it's just it's a wow every month almost <laughs> yep. in a different market it just is it's it's really um it's definitely taken something for me to get used to and wrap my head around in my in my game plan uh what do you want to go over next uh, maybe go to ethereum now i don't know if you've got oh, ETH yeah. Up there. yeah
1: the what's interesting about ethereum was unlike the momentum loss um, uh, that we saw in Bitcoin, Ethereum was much more of a, p- a pattern that we joke around on the market h- huddle. We call it the Eiffel Tower formation, uh, and uh, and it it it's where you have an acceleration of the upside. Like using trend lines just to uh, look at the slope of uh, of the trend you see that there's an acceleration of trend on the upside. And uh, whenever you, you see this, whether it's in lumber prices like we saw on the charts of lumber or uh, so many of these other commodities have been doing this or whether it's in Ethereum, uh, I, I love that uh, there's that one rule uh, of Herbert Steen's law, which is that if something cannot go up forever, it will stop. And when something goes, uh, and when when something basically is going up at this rate of change, um, it's either going to be larger than all other assets combined because it can't grow at such a logarithmic parabolic rate. Uh, that at some point, mean reversion of that parabolic rise uh, is just something that naturally happens. And it's not something that's specific to Ethereum. We see this on every market. Silver did this at its peak. Um, uh, Lumbers do, uh, just recently did it off of its highs. Every market does this. It just so happens it's happening right now in Ethereum. Uh, but uh, at this stage, uh, with this kind of a drop again, very similar um, you 're going to get some sort of a reactionary bounce uh, backwards. May, well, we could easily see north of three thousand back to three thousand five hundred on the upside of a reaction, and very similar to bitcoin it 's going to be about what it does then right like i think it's uh, uh, snapping back to that level would be an incredibly natural price action move as buy on dip traders are buying the opportunity and suddenly the the liquidity shifts and buyers are able to uh, to to get the snap back and people that were panicking stop panicking and it creates uh that reactionary move but then that's where we'll get the big tell so we'll see i i think um uh both of them uh, both all the cryptos right now have obviously capitulated and if and I think a short term low is in like when they, when you have this kind of a, uh, you know, a 50 percent kind of wipe out in a span of a week, you uh, usually uh, things are going to stop going down and have a reaction the other way. This is we'll see.
0: Yeah, I know. Exactly. I feel I feel the same way. What are you what are you thinking about next year? Either you want to gold, let's go
1: let's go crude and gold. Oh, OK. So, cool. um, so what I want to do is uh, let's let's touch here on uh, here. I'll, this is just the uh, uh, June contract on crude, uh, and one of the things up until today's break, I think it was some Russia headline or something that that, uh, that spurred some distribution. I was pretty impressed with the way that oil's price action kept rebounding. And a lot of people uh, often are quick to assume that a double top will form as we approach a previous high and we're going to reject along a previous high. But uh, a lot of times ascending triangles become the pattern, which is essentially uh, that the price action just keeps working its way higher and then inevitably breaks to the upside and it just runs for another impulse higher. Uh, today was the first Real technical damage that we saw in crude oil, and uh, I always have one saying that one day does not make a new trend, and so i 'm not ready to already um, uh, to uh, want to overread into just one day 's break, uh, but we had substantial overhead resistance, everything looked pretty good even yesterday for the potential that oil could break out to a fresh high. And we had a breakdown, but what one of the interesting things? There's some key supports in the 61, 62, 63 level, kind of fib retracements of the uh, of the rise from March to to the current highs. And uh, if the bulls can quickly snap it back to 65, then. It, the bulls may still be in control of this market. It's going to be we're at such an important crossroad today when we're we're um, doing this show. It's very uh, early; like we don't even have 24 hours of price action on this breakdown, and so we're we're going to want to be watching as to what happens there. Yeah, we definitely got to talk gold, though, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so. <laughs> Gold has been in a big, um, eight month, uh, consolidation. I don't want to call it a bear market. It's an eight month cyclical downturn that was generally being driven by, um, uh, a lot of people uh, like to show the correlations to real rates of interest, right. Uh, uh versus nominal rates, uh, looking at, uh, the, uh, real rates of interest. And we were deeply negative in real rates and, uh, when we shot up and we got to like 50 ba- negative 50 basis points on real rates, uh, we basically had gold take a very nasty dip on the downside. Everyone was saying that that's bearish for, uh, for gold. But I actually think it's now a huge tailwind, not a headwind, because now that inflation is running hot, what we clearly see is bond yields, nominal bond yields are not reacting. And therefore, uh, we are actually seeing deeper negative real rates um, by, by, by the default that inflation is running hot and, and nominal interest rates in the 10-year treasury are not moving. Uh, and this actually has now flipped from what was uh, over the last eight months, a massive headwind to gold is actually now potentially a tailwind. We've gotten now above all sorts of key technical levels, like all the all the major moving averages, like the whether you're looking at the 50-day, 100-day, 200-day moving averages, we're above all of them on the upside. And when we see things like uh, earlier today, where very easily gold could have started a mean reverting correction of some sort, uh, it immediately got bought up and they recovered it. Uh, and so right now it's being accumulated very well. And what's interesting is that since we're seeing a lot of risk off uh, type activity where a lot of people are, are selling out of other commodities um, where that are in a correction, it's interesting that it looks like some of that money is finding the precious metals. And, um, and it's going to be really interesting to see whether this is in fact the beginning of another bull impulse on the upside. Like when you look at gold on a much bigger picture weekly chart, uh, this just looks like it was one big bull flag uh, ready to go now for another bull breakout uh, and uh, and so the question here, uh, are we going to see continued bullish price action that continues to confirm that we may now be seeing an, another new cyclical bull run in, in the precious metals. It's something that's got to be on everybody's watch list. It's uh, it, because unlike like when we look at something like copper, when we look at something like uh, lumber, when we look at all these things, you're talking about trends that may still stay in place. But there are far more seventh, eighth, ninth innings of their trend moves, while gold might only be in the second inning right? Like you, you're catching this breakout at a much earlier stage. So there's much more asymmetry uh, in the opportunity. While if you're squeezing, trying to, to chase copper higher here, uh well, a lot of the easy, like when you look at this chart on copper, uh right over here on the continuous futures contract, this is the weekly chart, but like, it's kind of like you were talking at the beginning of the show, you know, it's like you're chasing, like where, where's the asymmetry in, in getting in this, this is probably the single most consensus trade out there. I was joking with you earlier, like, find me one uh, person that's bearish on, on uh, copper. You can't find it. This is a, it's like, mi- like a mythical unicorn, a bear on copper. It's like something that's uh, you're just not going to find out there. And, um, and the thing is, is that that doesn't make it bearish on copper, but it, means that a lot of this has now been fully priced in and all, all the, uh, the there isn't much incremental upside and there's plenty of room for shakeout events that could uh, that could um, be these mean reverting corrections that all the weak hands that are chasing momentum suddenly see red on their screens and they're all going to suddenly start bailing on the trade because they're not getting the momentum they wanted.
0: You know, what's so interesting about today's markets and we're seeing so, it in some of the charts that you're showing us today. Is so many of these patterns, and we've we've been talking about this a lot. Look, they look so similar. I mean, it's amazing to yeah. me so how one much, betrayed. right? Yeah. Doesn't it just feel that way to you? I mean, it, it's like. Then I go back to how are you and I trading this? Because I know a lot of people are going to come back to us and say, "Well, what are you doing differently from?" then to now, like how have we adapted to it? I've talked a little bit about how I'm adapting As I've had to re- actually incorporate how I'm going to trade into a momentum move. A lot of that, I'll go to your podcasts and I'll say, what is the macro themes? How far can they go? We've been talking about inflation for a while. Some of those trades I'll look at and say, maybe I can buy into this high because it's being supported by it. Then you start to look at price and say, how far can this go? Uh, and, and you know, as a trader, I, if I can't manage my risk, I move away from it. And there's just different things I've had to do to just put myself in position to be able to manage risk and take advantage of this new environment. And it's, it's taken me time. I mean, a lot of bumps and bruises for me, there's no doubt. And I still find myself, you know, struggling with it and trying to like really identify how so much has really changed. How are you going about with these charts that we're looking at here Talk to us about what's the key thing maybe that's different from what you used to do to now in order for you to be able to to capture edge
1: uh in these markets well you know the uh i i'm a very big fan of options trading uh it's actually the uh, the the core to the way that I approach the markets and what I find is that uh the convexity that you get in in being long gamma with options and the fact that you essentially uh, have a huge upside and the, you, the more rights you get, the more the option behaves like the underlying security, but you have a very defined risk and a way to manage it. It allows you to have more staying power than when you're uh, trading the underlying futures or, or securities directly because uh, you have to manage uh, your risk, when, whether you're trading, uh, uh, you know, any one of these assets, you have to be very diligent about your stop losses or when the trend is shifted or how you're managing the risk. And I find it, it much easier to implement uh, my risk management through using options. And that's that's just the way that I've started to approach. And I find it much easier to navigate this chaos when, uh, when I'm uh, putting on the trades through those types of ways of expressing it.
0: Funny you say that because actually for gold, I – I've talked about how I, I did really well trading it at the middle towards the end of last year. Then I started to get chopped up. I continued to want to be bullish gold. I thought that that trend was gonna continue. I kept trading around a core position and uh, the future side of things. Just really was just kept stopping me out, You know, buying back in, take some off, get stopped out again. It just wasn't one of those things. This last time around, when I start, saw it start to stabilize, hold above really the 50 day moving average, I was keeping an eye on it. I went to options because I, I said, you know what? This trade has chopped me up so much. If this is going to work, I need to go further out. I bought miners this time, and which I thought was a, you know I said okay I could still participate. I don't have to be in the futures when price. and there's certain days that where price is really good, uh, confirming everything to me. I could use the futures, but I agree with you. I mean, it's so. First of all, like we said with these markets, if they're going to start working, the momentum is so is is one of those things where it's going to go so much further than you think probably anyway. So you yeah. might as well get into something to where you could have a stronger hand in the market. And options for me on the gold side is where I've moved in with that particular market. Um, so I totally could see that. And it's Actually, maybe I want to see if you want to pull up st- uh, maybe NASDAQ next. I'd like to see what yeah. you think about that because this is another market where – you know, I really wasn't trading much of it at the beginning of this year. And once again, we're going to say the same things. I just, I'm not going to just keep buying highs, buying highs. I finally saw it start to come off a little bit. You know, it even looks, you can see it's pretty much like a double top up there. I think the activity now for a day trader is starting to get good. What are you seeing here in
1: NASDAQ? Uh, well, I think the NASDAQ is is a, such an interesting market because one of the um, things, like whether you uh, hear guests like uh, Julian Brigden or Harley Bassman talking about these tech growth companies are basically like 70-year uh, duration bonds. Like They are basically long-duration bonds, interest rate sensitive because you're discounting all that future growth to the present and interest rate sensitivity is huge. And so in this reflation trade, uh, stocks like Apple have been struggling, right? The, the These FANG stocks, these kind of stocks that drive this NASDAQ index uh, have been uh, just preventing it from be, uh, playing its traditional leadership role, which we've seen over the last five years, the NASDAQ materially outperform in a big way. But it's now a contrarian play because um, – what if i'm going to give a what if because i don't I use it as a forecast well what if inflation is transitory and what if uh it's not about to run away and that uh, at, on the other side of this will be some sort of disinflationary impulse on the other side uh, this might be an extraordinary buy on dip opportunity on some of these stocks that have now become out of favor. Everyone's chasing the cyclicals, everyone's chasing the miners and the uh, and all the basic materials stocks. And they're even chasing coal miners now and stuff. Like it's crazy, like oh, what no. we're seeing, <laughs> what, what we're seeing in terms of like what's hot. And um, and what's interesting is, is that a lot of these big tech names that have been what has been the darlings and everyone loved them have been left for dead. And I I'm, and I'm not forecasting it, but it's a what if. What if inflation does not run away? Uh, many of these stocks might be buy on dips, and so this entire pullback on the Nasdaq is holding fib levels. Like this entire pullback toward 13,000 has actually come right to the uh, you know 50 to 61 percent retracement zones of uh, of a pullback. Um, if if this isn't a bear market, which I'm not convinced it is, uh, if it, then the stock market at some point is going to be a buy on and dip. And, uh, and it'll be interesting to see whether the NASDAQ, which has been on a relative basis, very weak. Like th- th- To be honest, one of the reasons why I've stayed over the last month structurally bearish, I'm going to put it on a four-hour chart here, but every single one of the rallies in the NASDAQ on an intraday basis has just been incredibly weak. And they've been uh, very short-term lasting rallies that have – Immediately got distributed and and are, are, are systematically in a downtrend. And, uh, and what will be the really interesting puzzle piece is where and how far does the NASDAQ correction go? Because I think that it's actually more important to watch the NASDAQ now than it is the S&P. The S&P is almost just like S&P can't really go higher without the tech stocks participating because these behemoth FANG stocks are such huge market cap monsters that it's very hard for the S&P to incrementally make higher highs without the NASDAQ joining the party. And the NASDAQ has been stuck in the mud because because of all the inflationary and uh, pressures and the reflation trade working. And so uh, this will be one of the bigger puzzle pieces to solve, to see whether or not the NASDAQ here is going to put in a short-term bottom.
0: I agree with that. I mean, I, it's back on my radar to start watching it again. I hadn't been trading it much, like I said, at the beginning of this year. Now I'm starting to look at things. And, and very similar to what you said, I was looking at a chart of Apple the other day. I was looking at a chart of a lot of the things, and I'm just looking at them going – there's no love for them anymore. No, right? And
1: it, it, someone who's owned Apple uh, since August is basically at break even. Like this, you've you've made uh, no uh, incremental returns. Uh, and yet at the same time, almost all the cyclical and mining and any uh, space energy during that same window of time, you're up 100 percent or more on many of these different names. And uh, and so what's happening is, is that the typical behavior of investors is to chase what's working right. You're chasing momentum. And uh, and so what we've have is a scenario where many of these FANG stocks have been massively out of favor and everyone's pouring into the reflation trade and cyclical because that's where the money's being made. And catching when that shift swings back, the, the, when the pendulum swings the other way is going to be big money. The question is when. Uh, I mean, I'm not ready to call it out here. I mean, this trend may still persist for for months. Who knows? But, when, but it's a big money trade to catch the, the turn.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the only other market that I've been watching, I, I don't watch the S&P as much, and that's hard for me to say because – that's where I that was my bread and butter yeah. baby for a lot of years. I really only watch Nasdaq and Russell. I want to say maybe you want to pull up the Russell because I think that's sure. an important market to watch. Uh, you know, I think that when it comes to people always say the market and the economy are two different things. I totally get that, but I like to watch the Russell. I think it is the best representative, mm-hmm. truly, of the U.S. economy. I think it's a good market just to keep an eye on. I like it for a swing trading market. What do you think about it?
1: Uh, the price action 's been shit anthony there 's yeah. no other way to put it like uh, and I mean whether uh, technicians will start to jam like head and shoulders patterns on the top to trying to anticipate that this is somehow going to break, but to me, I would just just focus on the price action of the last uh month, which is essentially. Uh, very, it's almost uh, the same kind of weak price action we saw on the dollar chart, which is it's very distributive. Every rally lasts a day or so and then immediately starts meeting um, a, a new round of distribution. There's, we have yet to see any bullish price action uh, start to emerge here. And uh, and we're at a major support line. And so we're sort of at this moment where there is no technical downtrend we haven't broken to new lower lows and this pattern hasn't yet engaged a, some deeper market correction, but there is no sign of accumulation either. And so it's almost like the Russell stuck in purgatory. It's in this uh, this choppy range bound and there's a lot of reasons to be very short term concerned about uh, a, a technical correction. And I want to say technical correction because you can, uh, somebody who's owning this as a um, a long-term investment in their retirement account. And this is a part of their diversified portfolio. This is not that you don't panic sell because there's going to be a five to 10% market correction. You, you have to hold through that. You want to generally avoid being long things during a bear market, but I don't think we're at the start of a bear market. And so we're, we're in some sort of a technical correction, you know, like once a year we average on average, we have a 10% market correction in the markets at some point. Are we in the midst of that? Maybe. Uh, and if that's the case, maybe the Russell goes down to 2000, right? Maybe we're going to still get another couple hundred points uh, on the downside of some little break that washes uh, traders out on to lower lows. Uh, and, then, um, and then it reverses, and it's going to be a great buy on dip. But right now, price action is very weak, uh, but it's got a good support line uh, that uh, we can at least lean on, on uh, along this kind of 2100 zone.
0: Yeah, I, I was actively trading it uh, uh, quite a bit at the end of last year, middle of last year, this year, same thing. I think for a trader, it's it's a tough market to trade right here. Uh, but I, I am keeping an eye on it now. As you said, I think we've seen a really a time correction. I don't know if you want to call it that, yeah. but where it's just as it's not done much. But I mentioned that I like to watch the Russell as really a lead more of to what's happening with the economy. You talk to so many different macro people. Uh, you're much better uh, at yeah. understanding macro than I am. Do you agree with that, or how do you yeah. feel about the,
1: the Russell? Small, small cap is definitely middle America. It's the way that you can engage on on the health of of the uh, the real economy. But what's interesting is, is a part of the big reflation trade that kicked in in November. Uh, it was small caps, cyclicals, and financials that were all the real leadership. And what's interesting is the cyclicals and financials kept going, and the Russell stopped. Uh, participating uh, back in march and i find that really interesting uh that that um all three were working earlier and the russell's the one that's diverging from the other two uh and i don't know if i uh, if i want to over like i conclude some sort of um a thing from that. But it is interesting that uh, that the other counterparts in that reflation trade have actually continued to run while Russell has not. Uh, may, but definitely it is a, a testament to, because I mean, almost all of the major money flow goes into the large caps, that is, uh, and the small caps tend to be where you got a lot more value, and it's giving you a, a get better gauge as to uh, the reopening trade and the, and all of these other elements in the market. So yeah,
0: yeah. I mean that's why I'm watching this right now. Nasdaq. It's it's funny. You know, I haven't been watching much of them for most of this year. I think now it's starting to get very interesting. After hearing you talk about the Nasdaq and tech. It, I I just feel like there's going to be something there to start playing soon. I just feel yep. it. it. It's one of those things where you know we all go through our charts all the time, and you watch uh, all these different macro themes happening. You see what's going on, and now all of a sudden I'm getting like this thing in my stomach where I'm going, you know, start looking at this Nasdaq because like I said, I pull up the Apple chart. I'm pulling all these charts. And I'm going, these these stocks don't go without love for too long, and and who knows? Uh, I just know that in my mind I'll be watching them. And I think that it 's going to be the stock market could start becoming the talk again i don 't think it 's too far away from that happening. Everything nope. re- really lately has been commodities and crypto. Um, and
1: Anthony, I have to agree with you like I, uh, what I believe in trading is that there 's a cyclicality all moves everything is a buy opportunity at some p- point, and everything is a sell at some point point. and the problem is too many people uh, uh, you know uh, want to fundamentally anchor themselves on some belief uh, of uh, and and they get too invested emotionally, and they don't see before them where the trade is. In the end, I only care about making money. And when something is a buy, I buy it. When something is a sell, I sell it. And I do, and I don't get married to nothing. Uh, you know, like, um, and uh, and I think that's the, the the best way of approaching. You have to have this neutral state in your brain, where look, you, just because you like something doesn't mean you have to own it the whole time, uh, right? You exactly. you have you have to you have to kind of ask yourself when is there the asymmetry in taking the opportunity and when it's not there you just don't trade it you go where there is another opportunity you have to have that mental flexibility to be able to walk away from something and leave it alone for a while
0: yeah you know really growing up as a trader i felt it was so important really just to stay focused on one market and just trade that one market and become I don't want to say a specialist, but it's really, it just really refining your strategy for that one market. And that really worked well for a lot of years. And as we said, markets have changed. They, they've yeah. changed so much more than I could probably go over in, just a, in this one podcast. Um, they've really changed a lot. And as a trader now, like I said, somebody who believes that you really should have just been trading one market, I still think that there is definitely uh, the ability to make a living just trading one market. I do believe that in one style. But for myself now, I've evolved to where when things go uh, in a market where there's just nothing to do, like I look at the Russell, I go from trading it every day and all these positions to I look at this, I really wouldn't be trading this for the last four months. And then yeah. all of a sudden it comes back into play. And I don't know if that's how you were as a maybe uh, one well, or two markets. And now I feel like I have to be able to trade other markets.
1: Otherwise, opportunities coming and going. It's funny that you say that, Anthony, because, um, so, uh, for, uh, for three years back in, um, uh what well, jeez, it was almost a decade ago. Uh for, for almost three years, I uh ran an S P uh, e Mini trading room, chat room. Like I just basically was uh with a, a big group of people on a live thing and all I was doing is day trading the S P live. And I did it for three years and it somewhat uh was uh was successful enough to keep running it uh, for a long period of time. And but what I found was that I was exerting so much energy into uh, To trading the spoos, yet I was making all this money from all of the trades that I was just buying and holding and and actually <laughs> managing and thing and that's why that's where I evolved um, you know a part of my uh, the whole thing of big picture trading is is that we're trying to we trade everything holistically, we look at all of the markets and ask where are the opportunities and where can where um, uh, can you uh, put on a trade? and leave it alone allow some big opportunity emerge and you have to be able to leave the scope of just one asset uh, which of course if you're a day trader you want to focus on just the intraday charts on one thing you can't be spread too thin but but uh, when you're when you get into macro and you get into that space you want to be able to take that holistic view and see how all the markets interconnect and influence each other and where where are all the different opportunities emergent? And you have to be able to step back and look at it that way.
0: For me, it's come down to I like to see a dominant trend that I could capture, take advantage of. Uh, you know, I like yeah. to think one side of a market. And I used to be somebody who was in and out on both sides all the time. And the mach- machines just started chewing me up. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I, I started saying to myself, okay, if you're going to compete, at the level you've always competed at, you have to start adapting to this new type of market. You're not going to win on speed. I've got to win with a stronger hand in the market. Let them let the markets yeah. identify a trend. So I started getting into macro. Uh, you know, see what's happening on the macro theme. Look at your bigger picture technicals. So much more important to me now. Where I see a dominant trend, I trade one direction in that market, whether it's uh, swing position, day trade, use options. But in my mind, I'm I'm convicted to that one side. And if I'm wrong, fine, I could deal with it. That's part of this business. But I'm not coming in there just spinning my wheels every single day trying to force something that's not there. When I see markets you know, like the Russell, the S&P, NASDAQ, stocks in general have gone very consolidated, I say, you know what? I don't do well in that. Okay. Yeah. I used to when I was scalping. Things have changed. Machines are better than me at that now. I stay away from it. You know when I see a trend that I like, I've been I was pounding the table this year on Ethereum. It's been great for me. I mean, i gave a bunch back. It is it's okay, but look, it worked for me for the time. I'm smart enough to manage my risk. I took as much as I could. We'll see what happens from here. What's next? But I'm not going to sit here and just churn myself, you know, and just get chopped up. And I think that's why I, you know, I like your show and just like the stuff that you do because it's it's like you have to have that big picture perspective. Now, I don't care how short term all of you guys are out there that are listening to this. If you don't have that perspective of the bigger picture, you're missing out. Um, on, on what's really happening in today's markets. And that is, these trends go further than you think. Uh, we talked about momentum. Why do you want to trade in something that's in a consolidation? Unless that's your style. I mean, that's fine. But I think it's much harder these days to trade in consolidation with the way the machines are. It's just my opinion. Yeah,
1: you know, Anthony, yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I describe it to my members as um, uh, that everybody today seems to be competing in the gladiator sport of short-term timeframes in a sense. Of, there's obviously high-frequency trading machines, but every hedge fund, every prop trader, everyone is having their p calculated daily, weekly, monthly. Everyone is, is trying to get a piece of the most immediate action. And so uh, even if there's an amazing big picture, a trend that will emerge over six months, a lot of these people, uh, unless the trend is started already – they uh, are not willing to take a jump in because they, they need to be where the action is right now. And so I find that there's an edge. In stepping back and looking at the bigger picture of where some of the big moves can happen and not get chopped up in the gladiator sport of uh, of uh, this short time frame which everybody's competing in, and some really smart people are in that space with some pretty high level technology and uh, and you like do you want to play in that uh, sport level. I mean, it's not right or wrong, good or bad. Uh, but uh, I find my edge comes from kind of stepping back and trading some of those bigger trend moves. Uh,
0: great stuff today, Patrick. It's always uh, good to pick your brain and, and, and hear from you. Tell everybody where they could find you on Twitter, talk about uh, big picture trading, and of course, plug the podcast.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, f- first off, uh, I, I, I'm a part and co-host of uh, two podcasts, Macro Voices and Market Huddle can be found uh, on, whether on YouTube or on any podcast player. Uh, so you, uh, please check it out. Otherwise, you can follow me on Twitter at... Big sorry at Patrick Serezna, and uh, you can also uh, follow me. I'm on my website at BigPictureTrading.com, where I publish alerts and have all sorts of great educational programs available. So check it out at BigPictureTrading.com. Thanks.
0: Yeah, everybody, you got to check out uh, both the podcasts are really good. They're on my uh, follow list, and like I said today, I've learned a lot from Patrick over the years uh, on his podcasts. And check out Big Picture Trading and follow him on Twitter. Patrick, i got to tell you, it was, it was a lot of fun, man. It was great being able to finally have you on the podcast. Um, Thank you. Learned a ton from you over the years and learned a lot from you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on AnthonyCrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Futures Radio Show is produced by Crudelli Productions.